You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Keith Smith hosts a great podcast called The Fuel Podcast. Keith, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening. Fuel is all about the advertising business. It's like Mad Men for the years. Every show, I pick on a hot topic to discuss or interview a celebrity from the world of British and American advertising. We chat about all sorts of things, and I try and uncover the real person behind the image using just my powerful charm, incisive wit, and incredible humor. Humility. Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Wherever they go normally get their podcasts from Apple, Google, Spotify, the NPN website, or just visit my website at thefuelpodcast.com. You heard him. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone. You are listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cassell, joined today by my friend and colleague, Nicole Artst. She is an LMFT in California. A lot of you know her because she is the face and person and human and creator behind psychotherapy memes. Also the author of Sometimes Therapy is Awkward. And today we're going to talk about writing a book, the do's and don'ts, the imposter syndrome and vulnerability that comes up around that creation process and whatever the hell else comes up while we're talking. So Nicole, it's good to have you back on and thanks for making the time. I know it's 7.45 a.m. where you are. Thank you, Patrick. I'm happy to be here and I'm looking forward to talking with you and, and seeing what comes up today this morning over here so we you came on uh about a year ago it feels like at this point in time and we talked about imposter syndrome and we talked about psychotherapy memes that you've created and i mean you have such an amazing following and i think again it's because you're very real and that's what the uh the therapy world needs in a lot of ways so you're an author you're a published author you have a book that's been successful and you're writing another book and I think for a lot of therapists who are struggling with like one-on-one direct care being the only source of income and wanting to do more and wanting to expand their reach and, and become a published author, that feels intimidating to a lot of them. And I think a lot of the reason is like, I don't know where to start. And do I even have anything to say? So can you tell us a little bit about your journey, because I'm sure there is a lot of overwhelm behind the scenes when you're trying to create something and and put it out to the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you are correct um, about the process being, I wouldn't even say at times overwhelming, most of the time is overwhelming. Writing a book is one of those marathon type things. Um, And the first one is probably, I I don't know if it's the hardest one, but I would imagine it is. That's what I've heard from different author colleagues of mine. Um, Because yeah, you kind of don't know what you're doing. Imposter syndrome, just like it is for being a therapist, is very real with a lot of writing as well. Um, And and it's an investment of time, of resources, of, of money at times, because you are sacrificing other ways of making money to make that money. Sometimes you're pouring money into the product. Um, it is complicated, but, and and we can get into the weeds of it more of like what I recommend doing and not doing. But if it is something that's really speaking to you and something that like keeps kind of coming up as something you want to pursue, it's something I'm always encouraging, like just start writing, start writing ideas, get that like master Google doc going. Um, it doesn't need to be anything cohesive at first. You just need to start getting data. And and I don't mean like research data. I mean like your own data of like what ideas, excuse me, ideas feel important to you and start getting them down and practice that skill of putting it down on paper. That's the first step, really. Um, my background might be a little different than most people listening. As long as I've been doing therapy, I've also been doing writing. So I do have a professional writing background, which I do believe is 
helped um, with the process of writing a book. Um, but that's not necessary. And plenty of people, plenty of successful therapists um, write amazing books, influential books without having any previous writing background. It's not 100% necessary for success. Um, but for me, I do think it helped. It kind of gave me like that background of what it means to to sit down and have that discipline to write. That makes a lot of sense. And I think what you're saying to you is so important to note, because I think when you're like saying, just get it down on a Google Doc or on paper and get the ideas out. A lot of that has to be caught up in like the perfectionistic process of I don't really know where to start. Or it has to, I think a lot of people that I've talked to would say, I need to have it in like exact order of context of how I want this book to be laid out. And I think most people would say, don't do that. Like just get the ideas out of your head, like you're saying. You know what? I People do tend to be split. Actually, now that we're talking about that, they're um, are people who really benefit from having a structured outline and they focus on that first. And that's true for a lot of art. You know, people who produce movies, for example, I've heard of that, or who um, paint even, they kind of have an idea of what they're going for. Um, and and there's almost like a, a visual outline in their heads. And so similar for writing as well. And some people will spend weeks, months crafting this really detailed outline. And then that gives them a really solid blueprint as to what to follow. I wish that was my way of doing things because I feel like that's a little simpler. We all like that kind of concrete uh, blueprint, if you will. It, it just doesn't work as well for me. Um, I have to throw ideas and experiment and and kind of like feel it and touch it. And that was how my first book was. That's seeming to be the shape for my second book that I'm working on. It's already taken a couple different shapes. And I think I know what the beginning, middle and end are now, but I still don't know for sure because I'm still teasing out quite a few ideas and I probably won't know until after one full draft is done. And I've kind of learned to trust that that's just part of the process. But yeah, kind of going full circle Dumping helps. Kind of like when you go to therapy and you don't necessarily know what you need to talk about, but you start dumping and you start getting things out. You start picking up on themes and you start, you know, creating threads that you want to pull on. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's that's really important to highlight that there are different processes here and some work better for others. And I think I would be more in alignment with what you're saying. Like, I don't think I could create the structure and then create the content because my brain doesn't work that way. So I would need to really start dumping ideas and then starting to piece it together and then starting to see, okay, this makes sense. Let's get rid of this. Let's revise this. How important is that process? Like the revision editing process? I imagine that's another place of perfectionism where if you're talking about editing and revision and evolution and having one draft be completely different than the final draft, you have to allow yourself to have it be messy at times. I would say editing is like the true test of like moral character with as an author because so there's your own self-editing, which is painful because you look at and read everything, and you're like, it all is shit. That's just like the first thing that comes to mind. And then you're like, I wasted all this time. It all sucks. So once you kind of get through that, because every author, even very well-known famous authors you've written, dozens of books still have that. You kind of set those feelings aside and 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 really hone in, refine. And then you've got to go through the second way, which is like professional editing, beta readers, publish, all that stuff. And then that, you know, is another layer of like, oh, God, they still think it sucks, you know. Um, but at some point, you just develop skin. 
you just develop a skin and you're like, I'm so close to the finish line. I'm going to put this out there. And then there's that level of acceptance. I'm going to put this out there. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be things I read later on that I wish I had not said or I wish I had developed more. Um, But I think that's true for any art. You know, you listen to musicians, they talk about like their first albums being like cringy, you know, and and I think that's true for authors. I think that's true for TV producers. And I mean, you also have to accept that this is the moment of time you're in. And years later, you will look back and things will come across as outdated or even unhelpful or cringy is a, is a good word. But um, you have to have some level of acceptance that this is good enough. And it, again, a lot of parallels with therapy, because that is my my main profession is therapy is you can't get caught up in the perfection of perfectionism of that either. Um, there is that that self-compassion piece that really matters there of just being in acceptance. This is this is good enough and I'm proud of it. And I'm going to put it out there and take that that risk. That's so important to highlight because I think even if you're saying like the first album, the first book, the first iteration is cringy, right? That is probably the most important piece of this journey because it is about getting through the vulnerability, the insecurity, all the self-doubt, all the perfectionism, all the this is shit mentality, which is totally normal in all creative processes, I think. And then the realization of like, but I still put it out there anyway, right? Like, but I still did it. And that probably allows for those pathways to strengthen so that the next time, the next version, the next chapter, the next book, the next whatever, is you already have that foundation to know like, I can get through this process and I can create something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the nature of my book, Sometimes Therapy is Awkward, is about working through imposter syndrome and working through just feeling anxious or insecure or inadequate. And so there's like a parallel process with me having written that book of like the meta of going through that myself. And so in that way, like I'm very proud of that because I'm kind of in the trenches talking about the trenches. Um, And there is, there's like a shared experience with that. And again, I look at so many new therapists. I was in that camp too, where it's like you can get so flooded with feeling like you're not good enough or not helpful enough that you almost don't know how to move. And in those things, like I always say, like inaction's the worst thing. Like you have to take some steps, even if you don't know where they're going to lead you. You have to move because it's so paralyzing to to just be stuck. It's paralyzing and it's it, it's debilitating and it's painful because it makes you second guess every decision that you make. It makes you be let... let much more risk adverse, yeah. uh, which does not serve you well as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes you question your competency and your sense of self. And that can create this like shame spiral effect where you have a bad clinical interaction. It's just not the right fit. You said the wrong thing. You're a human. Like, And ultimately what happens is you're in your own therapy session talking about how you're the worst therapist on the world. And mm-hmm. I've been there. Like when I started out, I was I definitely had a lot of self-doubt and insecurity and imposter syndrome about my ability as a helper. And then really anchoring into like rapport is everything and building trust and safety that is so crucial before any skill set. And then that follows you in different entrepreneurial journeys and talk about imposter syndrome on this podcast all the time because we want to normalize it for people to acknowledge like 
It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be fearful. It's okay to make mistakes and fail. But what's not okay is to never try because those emotions get too heavy. Like you mentioned, flooding comes in, you get stuck, you get paralyzed. You decide that your idea is better suited for somebody else. And the reality is somebody else will do it because most ideas are not that unique. (laughs) Yes, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. And it's it's not malicious, you know, to tell people that it's at times it can feel a little like, oh, that's that's a really tough love approach. And it is in a way, you know, and it's something that I constantly am reminding myself that you got to feel those emotions and you still act. You still got to do it. You still got to make those moves. Um, You have to choose that timing for yourself. And that varies from person to person. And that's okay. Um, But you got to do something at some point. If if it's gnawing at you, if if there's that sense like you can do more, you want to do more, like you kind of have to go down that path. And and just see where it ends up, you know, and it it might still suck. And that's what people don't talk about, right? Like that doesn't mean it all works out and it's all perfect. But I'm I'm a big believer you still need that data. That data will give you another direction of of the next thing to do. And and there's there's beauty really in that too. Absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think about like you mentioned, a lot of famous authors, successful authors have these. Um, quotes, right, are examples of their own insecurity and imposter syndrome around the creation process. And one that stands out to me is a Maya Angelou quote that says, like, I've written 11 books, and I still think that somebody is going to find me out to be a fraud, or like, I am not good enough, or that I don't know what I'm talking about. And I imagine if you've written 11 books, and you have this, like, worldwide acclaim and accolade, and to still feel that level of vulnerability and self-doubt and insecurity, because so much of the creative process is wrapped up and intertwined with sense of self because it is a part of you when you're creating. And when we're putting it out to the world, it it just allows for there to be feedback and criticism. And is someone going to buy it? Are people going to leave bad reviews? Are they going to like it? Like all of that stuff is real. And you can say like, turn it all off, like shut off the noise, but that's almost impossible, I think, to do completely. And unrealistic. You know, like that whole, oh, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It's your art. Okay. <laughs> like that's, that's right. nice. But sure. we're all, unfortunately, in a capitalistic world, you know, where when a lot of times we're putting art out there, we do want to share it. We want to sell it. We know that if people don't like it, it could slander and like ruin our reputation. So like there is, there are those things to consider. Within reason, right? Within reason. And that's the important thing, too, of not getting tethered necessarily to what people think. But of course, you're thinking about what people think. You want to put something out there that people resonate with, that they like, that they grow from. Um, We rarely are writing something for us to read ourselves. It's meant to be shared. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Keith Smith hosts a great podcast called The Fuel Podcast. Keith, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening. Fuel is all about the advertising business. It's like Mad Men for the years. Every show, I pick on a hot topic to discuss or interview a celebrity from the world of British and American advertising. We chat about all sorts of things, and I try and uncover the real person behind the image using just my powerful charm, incisive wit, and incredible 
humility. Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Wherever they normally get their podcasts from Apple, Google, Spotify, the NPN website, or just visit my website at thefuelpodcast.com. You heard him. Go subscribe. Yeah, I mean, I have a book that I've been writing for years about gambling addiction experience, and it's sitting in a Google Drive folder with like 100 pages, and I haven't touched it in almost two years because I got this big burst, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to create. And now I'm like, I don't want to go back through. But I, I wouldn't read it. And I also like, even with podcasting, I don't listen to these episodes. Like I never <laughs> I have and I never will because I just, it has to be for me, like it has to just get created and put out there because if it doesn't, that's where my perfectionism will come in. And mm-hmm. that's where I will start overanalyzing and editing and tweaking. And then it's no longer authentic to me. Mm-hmm. And then it loses all of its value for myself. For, like mm-hmm. I can't do that. Yes, I rarely read my own writing after I've written it. Um, I know most writers and authors do not. And you're saying, and I've talked to a couple of podcasters, and that's the same thing that they, if they have to listen to their own podcast, they're not happy about it, type thing. Um, and they'll they'll usually delegate or outsource the the editing and all that to to someone else for that reason. Um, and and I get it, I get it. We're also just our own worst critics. Um, beyond like online trolls who just criticize everything um for the most part i think we're all so hard on ourselves um because we're all guilty of that upward comparison i don't know if that's the correct term but i think i'm like having a brain fart with it but we'll look at the people who are at the the very 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 top and think okay we need to be at their level as a beginner and or or even as an intermediate and um it just sets us up for more imposter syndrome and insecurity and all that kind of good stuff so it's hard you're right i mean it is it is really hard so for everyone that's listening the do's and don'ts that come to mind are like starting points like for people who are like i really do want to pursue this i just kind of feel lost on what to do next or how to move forward what what would you offer them for uh some just easy tangible tips Sure. The first one and the most important one that I will reiterate is you got to just start writing. Um, If it is important to you, you will make time for it. Um, And not I'm not saying that in a critical way. I'm saying that like you have to almost remind yourself that because you'll never find time. You will never find time to write a book. Um, It's a huge task. And we're all so freaking busy all the time. Um, I work really well with concrete, tangible goals. for me, it's always been like word goals, like a thousand words a day, a week. I It depends on what I'm doing. Some people do hourly goals. I'm going to write for one hour, 30 minutes, or you even start with 10 minutes. Okay, whatever. Um, and that kind of goes with that cliche of just write and you need to just write and you need to just keep writing. Um, it is like exercise, right? You got to train that muscle. The more you do it, I won't say the easier it gets, but the more... Um, habitual it gets you know um because again if you're just waiting to find that motivation i promise you it will not come um i've never seen a writer uh, i guess there's a few where they do you said you kind of got that burst of energy but rarely does the burst of energy carry you from start to finish usually it just moves from start to like maybe middle maybe mostly middle usually um, and that's true for most things in life, right? We all get that initial adrenaline and it wears off. And then we think we're the problem when really like you have to discipline yourself. Um, 
I'm trying to think what else I find really helpful for me. I do. I read a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I find that A, is helpful for me as a clinician, of course. And since I write about therapy, it is always sparking ideas about what it means to do therapy, to be a therapist, the existential reality of what we do. Um, But most authors will say they read double the amount they write, um, if not more. And so reading is important, however you do it, audiobooks, Kindle, like I don't, there's sometimes weird gatekeeping about how things need to be read, but I don't believe in any of that. Just listen to people who write really well or read people who write really well as much as you possibly can, because that will inspire you and you'll pick up language and you'll pick up more words and all that good stuff. Um, And let the draft sit like for a while and you know you don't need to get it done in like one shot I a lot of times with different writing assignments I will write ideas and then revisit it a week later um because I'm trying to think of the term when you're too close to something you almost can't see it you need that pause that break to kind of look at it with fresher eyes your eyes will never be as fresh as someone else's but you're you got to give yourself those pauses and then um then you get into the editing phase and that's a whole other series of questions we could talk about. But um, for for starting, the easiest answer and the hardest answer is you just got to start. I think that's so true. I think, yeah, for most creative ventures, it, it is just, you've just got to start. Whether that means you're just starting your private practice, whether that means you're starting your book or podcast or coaching program or whatever, you just have to start. And, and at that point, you'll make mistakes. Exactly. Let go. Yeah. Because if you try and plan for it, like, and get it done perfectly, you will be waiting years. You will be spending so much break. I think of with you saying starting the private practice, I know so many therapists who, like, want to get it all perfectly right. And then they, like, never actually open their doors. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I've got to, I've got to know the ins and outs of every EHR system available. I have to know exactly what my notes need to look like, exactly what my paper, and it's like, let's use imperfect action or impulse momentum and actually build the plane as you fly it because ultimately that is going to be the catalyst to actually putting things into action. The more we procrastinate and perfect and become the expert in, the more likely it is that thing never gets launched into the world. And you're sitting on these ideas that I I think about the movie, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Bronx Tale, but Robert De Niro tells his son, like, I think the saddest thing in the world is wasted talent. And I believe that to be true because so many of us have so many great ideas and concepts and things that we can offer. And oftentimes we are our own biggest critic and barrier to getting started. I, you said it so so uh, I can't talk succinctly and perfectly there. Um, yeah, we're our own biggest barriers and it is scary to start, um, but it's scary not to start too. And the the private practice is a really fitting example because that's, the nature of your listeners and I have my own practice, you have a practice and um, you can't account for every variable, not even close, no. remotely close. And even if you do, they change. So um, it's not an excuse to be haphazard, you know, like you got to do your due diligence and that applies for every process in life. Um, that helps you waste time and resources or it helps you eliminate wasting excess time and resources. But yeah, at some point you got to just, you got to just do it. Yeah. You just got to do the damn thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't mean it's less scary. It doesn't mean it's less uh, anxiety provoking. 
Um, but I, I keep thinking about imposter syndrome in a different lens now that I talk about it so often is that like, instead of letting it drive the car, instead of it letting you, you know, dictate where you move, debilitate you, paralyze you, it's just next to you. It's, it's shrinking. It's smaller. It's a little bit muted. It's always there, but it no longer paralyzes your decision-making. It no longer debilitates you from taking that little step forward. Like I actually use it as a more of a compass. If I'm experiencing it, I'm like, okay, I'm on the right track. So if mm -hmm. I'm experiencing it, then let's lean into it. And we mm -hmm. all know how to do that. So just really trying hard to work through that self-doubt and that, that harsh inner criticism that starts to show up when you're thinking about releasing anything into the world. You know what? It's really interesting. I was just talking about it with someone in my metaphor, similar to yours, but different. You talk about it being a passenger in the car. And because I have young kids, my metaphor has always been like, it's like a child in the backseat of the car in their car seat. Sometimes they're sleeping and you can just do, you're like focused and, and you know, they're there because it's a sleeping baby. You don't forget you have your own baby, um, but they're quiet. And so you really have that, that brain power to focus on, on your creative projects and you're feeling good. And sometimes they're screaming and sometimes they're talking and, some, and like you have to make and, and some, at some point you have to realize there's just a level of acceptance. The kid's there and, and you got to work with what you have, but you are still driving. Absolutely. It is your car. You have to have control over your car, regardless of what's happening. And in the worst case scenario, it means you're pulling over and you're saying, okay, I'm going to take care of you right now because I can't drive. I really can't focus. So let me, let me take care of your knees. Let's see what's going on. And then we'll get back on the road, but you get back on the road. <laughs> You're always back on the road at some point. I love that. Yeah, that's a great uh, image. And that's great um, for people who have kids or who can relate or just anything in general. Like, I think this is such a big part of this conversation and I appreciate you having it. Um, real quick question. Are you a new girl fan, the show? I am not. So okay. my truest confession is I watch very, very little TV because I probably yeah. read so much, but I have family members who are just, obsessed um so i've heard about a lot of it inadvertently there's a scene that's coming to mind right now where one of the main characters nick is an author and he can't he's getting through his writing block writer's block and uh he's sitting at the bar that he owns and his friend comes in he's like what are you doing i thought you were writing pages and he's like i paid some random person on craigslist a hundred dollars to punch me in the face if i don't have 20 pages done by three o'clock today and he's like i would have punched you in the face for free but <laughs> coming to mind when we're thinking about like getting started like just really trying hard to step into that space where you are no longer your biggest barrier and surround yourself with people who are doing cool, creative things, because I think it's helpful to have people who will build you up and who you can bounce ideas off of and talk about the fears and insecurities and struggle areas, because this stuff is happening for everyone. And it doesn't always get talked about openly because it's not the sexy side of owning a business. But I think in reality, we really have to talk about the struggle areas to help normalize the fact that most of us are going through something similarly. I love that you talked about surrounding yourself with people because that's so, it's just so crucial. And it's talked about, but I don't believe it's talked about enough. Um, I think about it as a therapist, right? Having our own community of like-minded individuals and that being essential for our well-being but yeah definitely for writing and it doesn't mean it doesn't absolutely mean surrounding yourself with other writers but other creative individuals yeah um who are motivated and who are doing the damn thing like you said uh that helps because it lights a fire under you too um and and it also creates camaraderie you can go to one another and and share hey i'm struggling hey i'm 
feeling apathetic about this uh, and whatnot. And um, we all need that community and the things that we're doing. It makes such a tremendous difference. I agree 100%. I, I really want to just say thank you for coming on again and making the time and sharing all of this because I think this is helpful. We haven't talked about this topic on this podcast yet. So hopefully people uh, get a lot out of this and, you know, are looking for your second book that's coming out. Do you, is that um, public knowledge, like what it's about, any of that stuff? Or do you want to keep that to yourself for now? It's not necessarily public knowledge, but not for any good reason per se, um, because largely I'm still uh, teasing it out myself, but it will be another book for therapists. I'll give that much. Um, it will be a book about the practice of doing therapy. Um, and, you know, stay tuned for for what happens with all of that. But it is in the shaping. It is starting to take some really good shape. Um, I'm excited. I mean, it's all shit, right? But I'm still excited about it. And at some point, it won't feel like shit, hopefully. Um, and I do think our field is, we all joke about having tons of books we don't read and um, not having enough time to read through it. But I do think we're still starving for books that inspire and books that validate. So those two big things as clinicians, because um, there's a lot of books that teach us how to do something. And those are important. Of course, we want to know what to do with our clients, but we are, we're struggling hard therapists with burnout, with cynicism, with feeling misunderstood, all those types of things. So I'm hoping my goal is that this next book will kind of hit on those key areas. And again, Ideally, we're validating that story and, and inspiring therapists to keep doing what really matters, which is helping people in whatever demographic and, and workplace setting you are helping people in. I love that. That sounds amazing to me. And I think you're right. The therapist community at, at large really does need that. I have a stack of those books on my dresser that I have not picked up in a year. The how-tos and like the theoretical stuff and all the other shit that we do need, but it's not as engaging or exciting as the stuff that makes us feel like a part of or mm -hmm. normalize the experience or allows us to have relatability or inspires us to do more or be creative. So really... um commend you for what you're doing in the therapeutic space with your social media accounts, what you're putting out to the world, the content and the, the book that you already have. I mean, you're helping thousands of people, which creates a ripple effect. And I don't know if we always think about that when we have audiences about like, there are so many people that are just lurking or anonymous who are paying attention to what you're putting out there and it's impacting them. So really just want to say congrats to everything that you've done over the last couple of years. And it's been a pleasure getting to know you like this. Thank you, Patrick. I really appreciate that. And I, I'm a big believer in that ripple effect myself. Um, and I, I say that to anyone who is listening, like a lot of times when we doubt our work, when we feel like what we're doing doesn't matter, or we get hung up on, you know, that one client interaction that maybe didn't go so well. Um, we can't negate those shifts that we make in the world and how those compound to other people and then other people. And that like, it creates these really awesome pro-social effects. Um, and it, yes, even can benefit when you're just lurking. I'm a big lurker in a lot of spaces myself, um, but you, you gain something and, and, and yes. So yes to all of that, but thank you for those kind words. You're welcome. <laughs>
and just tell the audience where they can find more of what you're putting out there and where they can buy your current book and everything else that you've got going on. Absolutely. Um, the current books anywhere, anywhere books are sold. Um, my, I'm best known on psychotherapy memes on Instagram. Uh, we also have Facebook, Twitter. Those are where you can uh, find the relatability as a therapist. Um, and I can also be reached at NicoleArts.com and there's contacts and emails there as well. Thank you. And all of that information will be in the show notes, including links to Nicole's book. Uh, Sometimes Therapy is Awkward, really awesome uh, piece of writing and really, really relatable for those of you, especially who are newer into the practice field. I think it's uh, something that you probably need to own and actually read, not the one that just sits on your dresser. Um, to everyone listening to the All Things Private Practice podcast, new episodes are out every single week on all major podcast platforms and YouTube. Like, download, subscribe, and share. Doubt yourself. Do it anyway. We'll see you next week. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Keith Smith hosts a great podcast called The Fuel Podcast. Keith, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening. Fuel is all about the advertising business. It's like Mad Men for the years. Every show, I pick on a hot topic to discuss or interview a celebrity from the world of British and American advertising. We chat about all sorts of things, and I try and uncover the real person behind the image using just my powerful charm, incisive wit, and incredible humility. Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Wherever they normally get their podcasts from Apple, Google, Spotify, the NPN website, or just visit my website at thefuelpodcast.com. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.